Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Nick Waselli, who is a first-year resident at Michigan State University Spectrum Health in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's originally from Reno, Nevada. He completed college and medical school at the University of Nevada in Reno. His academic interests include hand, craniofacial, and reconstructive surgery. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'd love to start by hearing a broad overview about your program at MSU. Absolutely. So our program is an integrated program. It's been around for quite some time. One of the earlier programs to start. It's a six-year program, like all integrated programs. We do our first three years, about a 50-50 split of plastic surgery and off surface rotations. And then our fourth, fifth, and sixth years are purely plastic surgery. We are in the Grand Rapids area, and we cover a fairly substantial amount of hospitals and surgical centers, including multiple level one and level two trauma centers, and a completely independent pediatric hospital. And then we also cover, like I mentioned, a bunch of different surgery centers and and small surgical suites within private practices. And so you spend about six months a year on non-plastics rotations across your first three years? That's correct, yeah. And what's the experience like when you're on some of those other services? It's actually was surprisingly great. One of the things that I particularly liked about this program and sparked my interest in it was how friendly everybody is. There's a very good relationship between general surgery, orthopedic surgery, vascular surgery, and plastic surgery. And those are the, the primary rotations that we are on when we're not on plastic surgery. So it's a pretty seamless transition, in my opinion. Of course, you're having to learn different skills. There's a much more floor work and management, at least in the first year, on off-service rotations compared to our plastic surgery rotations, which we'll get into later. But in terms of a relationship between the specialties, it's extremely positive. And many of the attendings are friends with each other, go out and spend time outside of work with each other, as well as the resident. So it's a very friendly environment. So you mentioned there are a number of different sites you work at. Can you just highlight the the primary ones and what experience you get at those sites? Absolutely. The primary, probably overarching the hospital system we work under is Spectrum. They have their main hospital called Butterworth Hospital, which is in downtown Grand Rapids. And attached to it, but somewhat independent, is the um, Helen DeVos Children's Hospital. And so those are our two main downtown hospitals we operate out of. And then we have a secondary, fairly substantial hospital called St. Mary's, which is maybe four or five blocks out of downtown that we operate out of a fair amount. And there's probably a culmination of 10 to 12 surgical centers in the surrounding metropolitan area that we go to occasionally, as well as probably six of our attendings have private surgical suites that we operate occasionally out of. But between 80 and 90% of our day-to-day work is happening at Butterworth, Heldavos Children's, or St. Mary's Hospital. And between Butterworth and St. Mary's, 
Are you seeing any more of one specialty at one or at the other, or is it different stuff at both? I'd say it's it's fairly evenly spread out. Children's Hospital, we obviously see a different patient population, so with that comes a particular set of presentations. In general, we see a lot more lacerations that we have to repair, a lot more head and neck trauma that we were repairing in the pediatric population than in the adult population. And between St. Mary's and Butterworth Hospital, Butterworth Hospital is just a larger, more level one academic center. And so we see a higher volume and a little bit higher acuity there in general than at the other hospital. But it's about evenly distributed between hand, craniofacial skeletal trauma, craniofacial soft tissue trauma, and soft tissue trauma and injuries. And then we are seeing any you know, post-op complication that any of our attendings have, you know, any of their patients that are coming to the hospital, we see them wherever they end up as well. And then what kind of things are you seeing at like the other outside surgical centers and suites? So those are all same-day procedure suites or same-day surgical centers. So it's all elective or semi-elective surgery. So we're not going to see patients there aside from when we're operating. A lot of hand and a fair amount of cosmetic and a fair amount of lower acuity reconstruction. We see a lot of breast reconstruction here. So a lot of our attendings will do two or three reconstructive cases or reduction cases a day. A lot of abdominoplasty, circumferential abdominoplasty, thigh lift, facelift, liposuction. We see a fair amount of, like I mentioned, hand or extremity reconstruction that's smaller scale, local flaps or coverage of that sort. And are there any independent residents or fellows that you work with? There are not. So we do not have any fellows at this program currently, which is honestly surprising because we have the volume <laughs> for it. But it's to our benefit as residents to not have to not have fellows that are eating up some of the surgical cases we would otherwise be in. And there are not currently any independent residents. I know that there have been in the past at one point, but in today's day and age with our program, we are completely integrated and accepting residents from intern year on, which unfortunately limits the ability to take on an independent resident. And what is call like as you progress through the years? So call at our program is very front-loaded. So the first, second, and third year call pool is set up to where when you are on a plastic surgery rotation, you are on call every second or third day in general, sometimes up to fourth day of 24-hour call. And then every other weekend you have off. So it's set up nice in the sense that you're working for essentially 14 days straight, 12 to 14 days straight, but then you have an entire two-day weekend off to recover and to go do something fun and enjoy life a little bit outside of residency prior to getting back into the thick of it. And I, I should preface this by saying that our call system is set up by a buddy call concept where we have a lower level and we have an upper level on all the time. And the upper level, i.e. the four, five, or six, is watching over and coming to assist with any procedural stuff, the one, two, or three, that goes and initially sees the consult, and then they staff it with the senior resident 
and then they talk to the attending. And as you progress through years one, two, and three, you're obviously allowed a lot more autonomy. And in general, unless it's a more complex thing, by the second or third year, you're not really able to not see anything independently. And most of the procedures you're doing on your own as well. As a four, five, and six, it's always backup? Correct. You're always backup call. And the four, five, and six call pool is in general a once every six day call for a 24 hour period and a once every six weekend call. And when you're on weekend call, you're on for that entire 72 hours of the weekend. So it can be a very long stretch if you're busy, which we frequently are, but it's much less frequent because you are taking a little bit more of a senior role and doing more education rather than actually going and physically seeing the consult yourself. And how is it split in terms of like hand or facial trauma? It's very seasonal, at least here with the trauma that we get. Hand is pretty steady and extremely busy. It's by far our busiest service. And we see hand at least a couple consults. Most times you're on call for hand if you're on call for hand. Facial trauma is very busy during the summertime and fairly light during the winter. So right now, we are very busy with facial trauma. I was just recently on plastic surgery before I started uh, rotating in the ICU, and we had three to four orbital floors or ZMCs a week, as well as one or two Laforts of some sort. So it's a very operative, heavy, and very consult-heavy service during the summertime. But during the wintertime, it was pretty infrequent, maybe one or two times a week, if that. Is like hand shared with ortho or facial trauma shared with ENT or OMFS, and how is that split? There is no OMFS or ENT residence here, so we take all the facial trauma. Mandible fractures is currently an OMFS call pool. We were previously involved in that call pool, and then there was a little bit of changing of the guard in a sense where OMFS wanted to take on all the mandibles and now we're in the process of changing back and we're going to be starting to be within the mandible call pool hopefully in the next year or two. And then with hand it is shared with ortho so depending on the attending that's on call it is either us or it's orthopedic surgery on, on call for hand. We currently have about double the hand fellowship trained attendings that they do. And so hand usually is going to us. So we get a lot of hand call and a lot of hand exposure, particularly at this program. Do you only work with the plastics hand people and not really with the ortho hand people? There is some crossover just because the way that our program is set up, all of our attendings are adjunct faculty and they're all private practice with the exception of our head and neck reconstruction and our extremity reconstruction attending, who is actually employed by the orthopedic department here at Spectrum, but he is a plastic surgery trained hand attending. And so we do all of the free flaps and local flaps for extremity reconstruction with him. So that's the one exception to the strictly plastic surgery hand versus orthopedic surgery. And what is the mid-level support like? So we currently do not have any mid-levels on our general academic plastic surgery service. There is one mid-level that was recently hired on for the 
pediatric craniofacial surgery office primarily to do more clinic work. She does come to the operating room occasionally. We don't have very much mid-level support. It's primarily driven by residents. Are there any opportunities for electives in the later years? There are the opportunity, particularly in years five and year six, which are our chief years, you have the opportunity to have more autonomy and scheduling what rotations you want to do. And there are several blocks cut out for elective rotations, depending on whether you want to go into hand, whether you want to go into cosmetic, reconstruction, any of that, or craniofacial. You can have more of an emphasis on that in the later years. I believe that there are four within that those last two years. And are there any opportunities for global rotations or other kinds of international trips? There are no official rotation opportunities, but several of our attendings go yearly to places in Africa or in Central America, and they've previously taken residents along with them who were interested to go do global health. So it's one of the main mantras of this residency program is very resident-driven. The attendings are very helpful and very involved in their education, but in terms of research, in terms of operative skill, and in terms of global health, if you want to do it, there is full institutional support and attending support, but it's up to you. So some of the residents have been interested in that, and they've been very successful going internationally to do work. And would they normally do that during, like, vacation time? There is exceptions. You can get some time that is not included in vacation time for that. I do not know the specifics because there currently are not any residents who have. And since I'm only in my first year, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to residents who have. But I would be surprised if the faculty would not work with you to help make that happen. And so you mentioned a bit about some of the cosmetic experience you get at like the surgery centers and suites. Can you just go into a little bit more about the breadth of cosmetic surgery you get and if there's anything like a chief cosmetic clinic? We get very extensive cosmetic experience. Like I mentioned, all of our attendings, aside from several of them, are private practice, meaning that a lot of them do, to some extent, certain cosmetic procedures. And there are, I want to say, seven or eight of our attendings that are purely cosmetic. So given that, we get a lot of opportunity to rotate with them. We have dedicated months of cosmetic when we are on rotation or going and doing cosmetic cases with them pretty consistently from first year on. And then there is a very robust residency clinic in years five and six called their academic clinic. And then during that time, you have the opportunity throughout all of your fifth and sixth year, essentially, to see patients, have independent patients consult you, come and see you, where you are seeing the patient, booking the case, deciding what you want to do, all under the umbrella of an attending who is just taking a back seat for the most part, and watching you and saying, yes, I would do that, or no, I would not do that. But you are really running the show as a year of five or year six. And a lot of our chiefs are booking a fair amount of cosmetic cases or hand cases. And so you can dictate how much you want to do from that perspective. But 
you get a ton of experience being like a pseudo attending in years five and six through that clinic. So it's a cool perk of our program. And if you could estimate which years and how many months you do like purely cosmetic rotations. So you do purely cosmetic rotations only in your upper years. You do, because there's a fair amount of room for elective rotations, some residents who are more interested in cosmetic will do quite a bit more than residents who are not. But you do have at least one to two rotations in the fourth and sixth year that are purely cosmetic. And so you get a substantial amount of experience then. And then, like I mentioned, we are operating a ton anytime you're on a plastic surgery rotation. Even as a first year, I've probably done close to 100 cosmetic cases. You just get a lot of experience by nature of how much operating we're doing more than anything. And do you get experience with gender affirmation surgery? We do get experience with top gender affirmation surgery. We do not have a program set up for uh, phalloplasty or vaginoplasty reconstruction here. So we just do mastectomy, chest masculinization, or obviously breast augmentation. How would you say your program manages resident operative autonomy? It's definitely attending dependent, which I think is probably true of any residency program. The more that your attending trusts you, both technically in the operating room as well as uh, from a knowledge base, and just the better they get to know you, you'll be able to do more. I found that with most attendings here, they somewhat adopt see one, teach one, do one philosophy, where the first time I'm in the OR with them doing, for example, a bilateral breast reduction, they'll show me what they'll do, what they're doing, and I'll assist them. And I'll either just assist them the whole time, or I'll assist them with their side, and then they'll walk me through it on my side. And then the next time they'll have me doing it with them while they're watching. And then the third time they'll start to feel comfortable enough to where they're giving me a little bit more autonomy and doing it simultaneously with me. And that progressively gets more and more so the more you can prove yourself and show that you are capable of handling that to the point where now by the end of my almost end of my intern year, I'm doing a fair amount of cases simultaneously and essentially doing my entire half of the surgery simultaneously with the attending. It's very dependent on your personal ability and drive to learn and understand the surgery and get good at the technique. And then also just the more you operate with the attendings. As an example, can you walk me through what you would do in each like PGY year? So for a deep, for example, or any microsurgical reconstructive case, as a PGY 1, 2, or 3, we would be helping to elevate the flap. And so generally we have a reconstructive surgeon attending with us, and then we will have a 1, 2, or 3, and a 4, 5, or 6. And the 1, 2, or 3 will help the 4, 5, and 6 raise the flap. And sometimes the reconstructive surgeon will also help out if it's a more difficult flap. And then the 4, 5, or 6 will go with the reconstructive attending and do the microsurgery to inset and anastomose the flap. While the 1, 2, or 3 is closing up 
getting hemostasis, closing up, and dressing the donor site and skin grafting or whatever else has to be done. So a little bit in the same way, it's a graduated autonomy. It's not really different between your first, second, or third year or your fourth, fifth, or sixth year because you're either an upper level or a lower level in the case, but you are given a fair amount of autonomy, again, to help out a lot, even as an intern. Got to help a fair amount with raising the flap, with closing donor sites, taking my own skin grafts while they're doing the microsurgery, etc. Now switching gears a little bit, can you tell me about the research experience, both in terms of expectations and opportunities? The research opportunities are very resident-driven. We do have a substantial amount of research ongoing that you can hop onto that previous residents have started and they can use help on. So starting off, it was fairly easy to jump onto a few research projects and learn about them and start helping out. We do have a pretty large institute for research here and a lot of financial backing, which funds a research department that essentially provides us with a research team, a coordinator, and a statistician, and all of that to really get whatever you want done in terms of research. Some residents are not very interested in it and do maybe one research project a year, and some are very interested in doing six, seven, or eight a year. So it's dependent on how much you want to get involved. The opportunities are there, and the institution is happy to support you in it. So for me, for example, I'm fairly interested in research, and I've written three manuscripts now, and so I'm going to be publishing several papers here shortly. And then I'm on three or four other projects that are currently in data collection phase right now. And I'm you know, still able to fulfill all of my clinical responsibilities. So there's enough support there where you can have all of these research projects smoldering in the background that you're overseeing or assisting to oversee while you're still learning to be a surgeon, which is obviously the ultimate goal of residency. And what kind of support's available once you are ready to present your research at a conference? The general policy of our residency program is that if you are accepted to present at a conference, you will get paid to go there, meaning that they'll cover your stay and costs to go there and present and support the program. Now, of course, there are limitations to that. If you're going to multiple international conferences every year, it would probably become an issue. I don't think that's happened yet, but I know of some of our upper-level residents who have gone to Paris and have gone to Europe and have gone to pretty exciting international conferences to present, and they've been fully funded. Are there any other particularly awesome, like, extra perks that you'd like to share? Yeah, so we do get loops paid for by our program at the beginning of our intern year, which is very nice because we take a lot of call our first couple of years, and it's very helpful when you're on hand call to have loops to actually be able to fully evaluate and, and treat some of the hand stuff we see. So those are fully paid for. We get a meal stipend every year, and it pays for essentially at least one meal almost every day, every 12-hour shift that you work, which for us is basically every day. And so you get that for food. 
they have a nice new cafeteria, and then they have Qdoba and Starbucks and all these other places nearby that are within the hospital system that you can use it at. We get a educational stipend every year, and you can pay for whatever books you want, whatever you know, materials that are education-related. A lot of residents will get new computers. They'll get additional scrubs with it. I'm planning to buy a new computer this next year because mine's getting a little bit old and outdated, and I'm using my educational money for that. So all of that is through the, the Spectrum residency program and given to us yearly. And then we do get scrubs and we get Patagonia jackets every year. And then we also get books given to us outside of what we would have to use for education money. So starting out the year, my intern year, I got four textbooks, I believe. And then you get different books each year that are a little more pertinent to your level of education. And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in? I'd say for this program, it would be probably a split between hand and cosmetic. So we have a very strong hand presence here. Like I mentioned, a lot of our attendings are hand fellowship trained, whether they do purely hand or whether they do a combination of hand and reconstruction and cosmetic. And then most of our attendings are doing some degree of cosmetic procedures as well. So the cumulative effect of that ends up being that we have a very robust cosmetic experience as well. And then we have our breast reconstruction presence is very strong. We have one of our assistant program director, Dr. Hammond, is known very well nationally and internationally for breast reconstruction. So he does a lot of talks to us and a lot of education with us regarding breast reconstruction. So we get a fair amount of experience in that through him. And how would you improve your program? I think that one thing that our program is definitely lacking in is microsurgical reconstruction aside from head and neck. We have one, like I mentioned, only one extremity reconstruction surgeon that recently started here. Prior to that, it was all head and neck with the occasional tram flap or occasional latis. And I'm, I'm talking free flap reconstruction. I think that one thing that could improve our program is having additional surgeons that would be doing procedures like a deep flap or like an S-gap or an I-gap or something a little bit more obscure but greatly educational free flaps. Or like you mentioned, the bottom surgery like phalloplasty or vaginoplasty. Those are definitely lacking from our program. So that's something that if that's your passion and that's what you really want to do, you could probably get better education somewhere else as of now, at least. So you'd say there's less like free flap breast recon and like free flap limb salvage. Correct. Yeah. We're just, we do a ton of head and neck free flap reconstruction. Probably we do several a week, big free flap cases for head and neck. And then our attending that recently started within the past year is doing extremity reconstruction. And we've done a couple cases with him so far. And we probably will start doing more extremity reconstruction but as of now. And now I'd love to hear about your program leadership. So your chief and your PD. So our program director is Dr. Ford, or Dr. Ronald Ford. He's been the program director of this program for a long time and knows it very well. He's 
extremely nice, caring guy. Very lucky to have him. Very friendly, very outgoing, very, very caring for the residents. He's like a father figure to all residents in a sense. He's a hand fellowship trained surgeon who does primarily hand cases and skin cancer and reconstruction after Mo's. I don't really know what else to say aside from he's just fantastic. He's a wonderful person to have, and especially when you're applying to these programs, you're always very nervous to meet the program director and to you know be having a conversation with somebody that's that important and has that much power over saying who goes to residency where. And he was surprisingly nice, more so than I you imagine in your head. And that has really held true throughout from interview process now through almost the end of first year that we have great conversations in the OR. It's very casual, very lighthearted, and just a very friendly person. Our chair is Dr. Reckner. He's uh, a very, also the theme of the program, very friendly, nice person, a little bit soft-spoken. He, he allows you to do a lot in the OR, and he is very educationally based, as is Dr. Ford. So both of them push pretty hard to have a lot of education and a lot of thought go into what you're doing prior to doing it, which is great. He, like our other attendings, are private practice and adjunct faculty, so we don't work with them a ton. It's fairly inconsistent that we work with Dr. Reckner, at least I have at this level. You do progressively work with them more and more throughout the, the six years. So it's hard for me to speak too much aside from that, but I've had nothing but good experiences. If applicable, can you tell me about a time when you brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded or a time another resident did? So I personally have never brought up an issue. The only experience I can share is through stories I've heard from other residents that issues have been brought up and dealt with very quickly. I guess I could, in a, on a similar note, speak to Dr. Ford's persistent desire to figure out our opinions on things and then try to enact a change if they're not positive or in a way to make them more positive. A very common thing that we will talk about in the OR is him asking question, oh, what do you think of this part of the residency? Or what do you think of that? What would you change about it? And then asking, oh, do you think that we should change this? What would you do better? And a lot of times from what I've heard, I haven't been here long enough to see much of that change, but from what I've heard of the upper levels, that happens pretty quickly within the next year or two. So very responsive to our do's, don'ts, to our likes and dislikes within the program structure. So it's nice that, I guess, again, one of the general themes of this program is very resident-driven. If we like something, dislike something about a rotation, or about the organization of something, it gets changed pretty quickly in general. And what kind of a role do residents play in department decision-making for things like picking new residents or hiring new faculty? Hiring new faculty, we don't, at least to my knowledge, don't have much of a say at all. In terms of picking residents, we are all heavily involved. So even from intern year, Myself and my co-intern were involved in the entire interview process, in the ranking process, in the conversations after the interviews about which applicants we liked, how we would rank them, and 
from the get-go, the faculty have told us that they value our opinion. And the reason why we're so heavily involved is because we are the ones who are inevitably going to be working with our future residents and future colleagues for this time, and they want it to be a good experience, and so they want us to be involved and share our opinions about each of the applicants. It's been very surprisingly involved in terms of picking new residents. And how would you say your program promotes diversity and inclusion and or helps you develop into a culturally competent resident? I think it's, it does a very good job of it. The big changes that have happened, especially politically and societally in the last year or two, there is, there's been a very robust response from our residency program regarding education on inclusion and education on diversity so that we are all aware of implicit bias and we are all more more consciously aware of those issues existing. They have a 21-week racial equality and diversity challenge that actually has just finished up recently that was put on not just for the plastic surgery program, but for all the residency programs through Spectrum, where they had weekly talks and educational forums that you could join. So it's pretty heavily talked about, particularly within the last year. I can't speak to before then, but understandably so within the last year with all of the societal shifts that have happened. And it's been very positive. It's been fantastic to see that much open involvement and engagement about it. How would you describe the culture or vibe amongst the residents? I'd say that everybody is very cordial with each other. I think that as you, of course, the lower levels or closer in year are with each other a little more often and a little bit more friendly. I think that I probably know my co-intern the best out of anybody. Of course, since we are starting together and going through the whole process at the same level, but we regularly, prior to COVID, and then not as frequently, unfortunately, have been getting together and we have yearly retreats that we do with all the residents where we go camping for the weekend. Just this past weekend, actually, one of the fifth year residents had everybody over for a barbecue to celebrate the soon-to-be graduating class. I'd say that it's very friendly. Some residents are more engaged than others in wanting to spend time outside of the hospital system, but for the most part, it's everybody is pretty enthusiastic about wanting any sort of time to get together outside of the crazy schedule we have. We'll regularly do, on weekends when we're on call, we will go and get you know brunch together and go get food when we get a chance. So it's fun. And what are some qualities of a resident who would fit well in your program? Somebody who's very hardworking. We, like I mentioned, get very busy on call. We see a ton, high, very high operative volume, very high call volume. And so somebody who's willing to work hard and okay with that. Somebody who's friendly and gets along well with people, fairly easygoing, because that's how we all are. None of us are super high strung or very serious regularly. <laughs> we always are joking around and have a much more casual back and forth. And so somebody like that would be a huge positive. And then somebody who's, I guess most people here are fairly into outdoors activities to some degree, and everybody's very competitive. So that can only help if you're competitive and egg each other on because we do that all the time. 
mainly just that you're a nice person and willing to work hard. I think one of the misconceptions of residency, and particularly plastic surgery residency, since we're all neurotic type A people who are have to be the best or try to be, is that we think that we need to be so knowledgeable on all of this stuff and we have to be so prepared in everything that we do. And that's just an impossibility because there's so much to know and you're never going to know it. So you don't have to know anything, but just if you're willing to work hard and learn it, then I think that's by far the most important thing. So now to talk a little bit about resident lifestyle, do most own or rent? It's about a 50-50 split. Most of the upper levels own at this point. It's a very affordable housing market here compared to East or West Coast. So I think that lends itself to a little bit easier buying opportunities. I rent currently, but I'm about to buy a house. Most residents will buy it their second or third year. And where do residents live like in relation to the site? One of the nice things about Grand Rapids is that it's all fairly easy to get around. Most residents live in more suburban areas, especially if they have a house in the periphery of the city, and then drive in. It usually takes about 15 minutes, regardless of where you are, if you're in the near Grand Rapids area to get to the city center and to where the hospitals are. I live downtown right next to the hospital system, so it takes me two or three minutes to get to the hospitals. But in general, it's about within a 15-minute window. What's the breakdown of residents being single, married, and having kids? I'd say probably about half of our residents are married, and then another half of them are in relationships. There are currently three of our residents that have kids. So the majority have dogs, which kind of count as kids, but only three of them that actually have kids. And do you know much about how the program supports residents that are either have kids or are thinking about having a family? So things like maternity and paternity leave. You do get maternity leave. And of course, you have the opportunity to work any outside of maternity leave itself. You can work any vacation time you want into that to extend it. And then you do not have any designated paternity leave beyond your vacation time. One of our residents recently had a baby. He's a male resident and wanted to take paternity leave. And so he used several weeks of his vacation time that he had accrued to have paternity leave for those couple weeks. And is it necessary to have a car? It is not necessary to have a car if you're living downtown. You can walk to the hospital systems. I would say that you would need at least a bike to get to all of the different surgical centers around the area. And what do you like about living in Grand Rapids? I'm a very outdoorsy, heavy person, so I very much enjoy how outdoorsy it is. There are a million different trails, a million different places where you can bike, you can hike, you can swim, you can kayak, all the above, which is very fun. It is a huge beer city and microbrewery city. So there are probably 12 breweries within a block or two that you can walk to, and they all have great, unique beers. So I very much enjoy that. And there is a ton of good food. So a lot of good food and a lot of good beer. 
and a lot of outdoor stuff. Hard to beat. So that's pretty much everything I wanted to cover. Any final thoughts about your program or about the process of choosing a residency? I guess the, the one thing I would say is to just find a place where you're going to be happy. I know that most people have probably been told this throughout the process. I definitely was as well. I don't think I fully appreciated it until I am now in that spot. You're going to get a good training regardless of where you go. Of course, different places have different opportunities. But I think that finding a place that really fits you well and that you're going to be happy at and enjoy working with the people that you're going to be working with for the next six years is a very underappreciated but very important concept to keep in mind. Because when you're working 75, 80 hours every single week and you're not getting any sleep and you're on call all the time, those little bits of difference in how well you get along with somebody go a very long way. Any single piece of advice you'd want to give to an applicant? Be yourself, because if you're not being yourself, it's usually pretty obvious to tell. And you wouldn't want to go to a place where you are not going to fit in being yourself. And then just be, like I said, willing to work hard and willing to learn. It's not expected that you know everything or that you have read the entire textbook on something. As long as you're there and you're having a good attitude and you're ready to learn and to work hard, then almost anybody or anybody that is worth your time to spend time with is going to appreciate that. And how can interested applicants find out more about your program? So we have a website that has a whole lot of information on it. We had a Instagram page that is currently down, but it will be up again shortly. And then we have a, actually, I think it's on our website now. We have a couple of videos that some of our residents have created. And I think those are now posted on our website as well. And of course, you can always you know, message us or email any of us or our coordinator to get in contact with us. We're, I can't speak for everybody, but very open to answering any questions and letting people know what our program's all about. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Nick. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.